our foster care system is shattered. And this podcast is about how we as a community can come together to bring about change, change in the system and changing the lives of children in foster care. Hi, my name is Rob Shear. I'm the founder of a national charity called Comfort Cases. I'm an advocate for children in foster care. I'm a public speaker. I'm an author of a forever family, but most important, I'm a dad to five of the most amazing kids. Welcome to the Fostering Change Podcast. Well, we are so excited that we're here at another episode of Fostering Change. What an unbelievable year this has been. You know, it's been unbelievable for so many different people, and especially kids who are entering our foster care system. I am so excited to have my next guest. You know, I actually consider John a friend of mine, and, um, you know, and you're not a friend of mine unless you and I are texting at all crazy times, and that I can say John and I can do that. I can always rely on him. For those of you who have not saw um, John's talk, TED Talk, I'm telling you right now, um, grab the box of tissues um, and really listen to him. You know, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for welcoming my friend, Dr. John DeGarmo. John, welcome to Fostering Change again. Hey, thank you so much, Rob. Appreciate it. So I have to tell you, I love your setup where you are right now. There's nothing better than to see you in an atmosphere where you know there are kids there. Um, so right now you are not in your office, um, but you're at your local church. And, you know, and I want to talk about that for a minute before we get into some topics. You know, I wrote a, an op-ed on the Hill, and I wrote that op-ed about churches being involved with child welfare and how I personally, and this again, Opt-eds are personal opinion. My personal opinion is that we have isolated so much of our churches from our child welfare system that we've done a disservice to children who are actually in the system. And again, I'm not saying pushing religion on them. I'm not, that is not, I want people to understand that. I'm not sitting here saying that I want my belief to be pushed on a child. What I'm right. talking about is the community of coming together for your congregation. How do you right. feel about that? Oh, 100% agree, 100% agree. You know, I would never have been able to foster parent to 60 plus kids unless I had the support of my church, uh, you know, who are helping bringing us meals, um, helping uh, maybe taking care of uh, the children at Christmas time and birthday birthday gifts, just being a support service. You know, I have seen a movement lately where I've seen churches across the nation recognize they don't have to go outside our nation's borders for a mission field. There is a mission field in every, and it doesn't have to be in, in a faith-based way. You know, I, I, I agree with you. You don't have to push their religion on, on top of the children. I, I, I agree with that. But churches are recognizing, you know what? We can help children and families in crisis in our own community. Mission within mile, if you will. If you will. You know, we have children in every single community who are victims of child abuse, who are victims of human trafficking, who are in the foster care system. The government can't handle it all by themselves. There's an opportunity for people of faith to step up and say, hey, we can help in several ways, whether it is having a clothes closet or donating meals or hygiene items or backpacks filled with school supplies. There's so many ways churches can help foster care, the children foster care, foster parents, and the biological parents as well. Everybody can come together to help those in crisis. 
Yeah, you know, John, I agree with you. And I think one of the things that I loved about what you just said is the fact of supporting the family. See, I am a firm advocate on foster care is not the answer. That in foster care, we, um, we've shown that it doesn't work. I mean, our statistics show how children, you know, um, the word neglect. Now, I understand that the system has to be there because I look at children that have entered my home. I mean, you've had over 60 kids enter your home and they have entered because of abuse. And when it comes to that, I feel that, you know, we have to have a safety for these children. But when I see the majority of children entering our system because of the word neglect, um, I feel like we could do better as a community. How do you feel about that? We can do better as a community. We can certainly do better as a community. You know, I, I recognize long time ago, it starts in the home when it comes to neglect. We as a community can, can come alongside those parents who are struggling with certain uh, aspects of their life and partner with them, work with them, help them, give them the therapeutical services they need, give them the counseling services they need, give them the support they need before their children are removed from their home and placed into a foster care system. At the same time though, for those children who are experiencing abuse, they need to be removed from that environment immediately so that the abuse stops and placed in a safe, consistent, stable environment. You know, I agree with you 100% on that. And that brings me to reunification. You know, I know that it is the goal of child welfare for every child who enters foster care to be reunified with their birth parents. You know, um, as a father who has adopted five children out of the system, their goals were all reunification. That ended up not happening. Um, right. Do you feel that, you know, one of the things that I, I've always said is that it's not fair for children to just, you know, linger and stay within the system and and you know we have reunification adoption reunification back to reunification back to adoption and these kids just seem to be pawns in a system where parents and adults need to be adulting and so i just feel like there needs to be a cutoff time for kids that you know this i met a young boy that just recently in the system he's been in the system for seven years and I, and, and by the way, his goal is still reunification for birth parents who barely come and see him. I feel that we have failed. We have pushed reunification yes. so bad. We have forgotten the damage we're doing to these children. What do you think? We do, we do. And, and of course, the end goal of reunification, oh, sorry, of foster care is reunification. And I have seen some wonderful reunification stories happen to some of the children in my own home. At the same time, I've also seen some very, very tragic cases as well. 50% of children in foster care are reunified. Of that 50%, 20 to 30% come back into care far more traumatized, filled with more, far more anxiety due to maybe, maybe the birth parents didn't have their support system in place yet. Maybe they didn't get the therapeutic counseling sessions they need. Maybe the foster care agency was so overwhelmed with the children that they rushed the children back. You know, sometimes these agencies in our nation, we stress reunification so, so hard that we rush the children back into their homes and the family members are not ready yet. You know, recently, Jen, Lily, and I were on the Nancy Gray show talking about such an incident of a two-year-old child who was in a very stable, safe foster care home with her siblings for a very long time, much of her life. They rushed the child back into the birth family. The mother who was also in foster care never received the services that she needed. Mother ended up killing her daughter. You know, that's sadly, that's not an un, 
Um, uh, that's, that's not something that's unfamiliar, that happens far too often. So there has to be, a, 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 we have to look at reunification and somehow redefine it. How do we need to change it? It's a system that's not working. Yeah, no, I, John, I agree 100% with you on that. And I do believe that as, you know, child welfare agencies, um, we do know that our social workers are overworked. We do know that they carry a larger caseload. But but the thing that we have to realize is that this isn't anything different. It's like the old story of teachers are underpaid. We have always known that. We also know that our government is not stepping up and making the changes that we need. So we as a community have to come in and make the changes. And, and that's why I think it's so important that we educate our community. And I, and I want to go back to what you said. You know, 50% of children who enter our foster care system are reunified with their parents, 50%. So, and to hear the number that 20 to 30% become what I call boomerang kids. These are kids that are in and out of a system because the first thing I look at, and maybe, and I could be wrong about this, is that we're not supporting the family the way the family needs to be supported. And understand, right. I do get it, John, that that you know you can you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. But I also feel like we're not giving enough services. How do you feel right. about that? Well, we're not. We're not. And as you said, caseworkers are overworked, overwhelmed, under-resourced, underpaid, under-supported, understaffed right now. And as a result. Not only are the children not getting the services they need, not only the foster parents not getting the services they need, the birth parents and biological parents are not getting the services they need as well. In addition, when a child is reunified with their birth parents, many times the support services that the agency was providing for those birth parents, they cease, they stop at the time where the birth parents might need it the most. You know, they've not had that child in their home for a long time, the child's returned back to their home. And those birth parents may struggle with that. Maybe the child is filled with anxiety. Maybe the child's filled with some attachment issues or some trust issues. Maybe the birth parents have been struggling with their own addictions, if you will, their own um, past trauma. And the time where their child are reunified, they're not getting the services they need at that time. And something tragic could happen as a result. Yeah, and I think the problem is, is that we just hear one tragedy after the next. And by the way, tragedy doesn't mean death. You know, tragedy comes in many different forms. And what I don't understand is that if, if, if we as a government body is able to pay a stranger um, a monthly stipend to take care of a child, why can't we take that money and invest it into that family? You know, I mean, it, it just it blows my mind. And again, I'm a dad. I get it. I Kids are expensive. They, you know, but I just feel like we do not invest enough within our families. Yeah, I agree. Amen. Amen. And you're right. Tragedy is not necessarily mean a death. You know, you mentioned my TED talk earlier. That's the story that drives me every single day to make the system better because the child was reunified with birth with biological family members. And it ended up in, I believe, a tragedy. Yeah. You know, I, I, I very open and you've, you've followed me and we, you and I talk about my son, you know, I'm, I'm battling a tragedy right now where, you know, my son who has been in my care, my husband and I have legally adopted him in a closed adoption. Um, the system has now stepped in and fighting us because they're looking at my son as a, a black boy, which by the way, he is, but they're looking at his birth parents who 
both of them lost custody because of not neglect, but abuse. Um, and, you know, so I'm seeing how the yeah. system is working on both ways. And it's it's just, it blows my mind, my friend. It blows my mind. Listen, we're going to take a quick break. So keep Rob. that thought. Keep that thought. We're going to take a quick break. Listen, everyone, um, I am so excited for my guest today. You know, Dr. John DeGarmo, um, I consider him a friend. I want you to find him. Find him on Facebook. I want you to go to his website. I'm telling you, um, people across our country listen to Fostering Change. And you're always looking for things that motivate your foster parents, motivate your social workers, motivate your church. You know, Dr. John is the guy that you need to have. You need to bring him to your facility and let him teach the great, amazing things that he can teach all of us. We're going to take a break and we'll be right back. This episode of Fostering Change is sponsored by Comfort Cases, a national nonprofit that is inspiring our communities to bring dignity and hope to youth in foster care. You know, for just $10 a month, you can support the Comfort Cases mission to eliminate trash bags from the foster care system. For every $10 donated, a Comfort XL duffel bag will be given to a child entering foster care. Please help us be part of the change. Go to comfortcases.org and see how you can help a child entering our foster care system. So we are so excited to be back back on part two with my friend, Dr. John DeGarmo. You know, as I say this all the time, whether you're listening through Apple or Deezer or Google, wherever your podcast platform is, or maybe you've decided to subscribe to our YouTube channel, the most important thing that you do is you share. You know, leave us a comment. You know, the things that we've learned just on this first half. You know, I want to remind people, you know, I have people who ask me all the time about reunification and the, to know the statistics show that 50% of kids will actually be reunified with their parents, which is amazing. And that is what our end goal should be. But to hear that 20 to 30% of them come back into the system. You know, we know that children who enter foster care suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder, twice the rate as our combat veterans coming back from the front line. Could you imagine coming back in the system again? You know, John, how can we make this better? You know, I'm thinking very quickly of, we have five children come to our home, uh, siblings, and um, the house had no running water, no heat, no air, no food, no plumbing, uh, no running toilet. Uh, the, the floor was covered with human and dog feces. You couldn't put your hand on the counter, it was covered in human and dog feces. The meth house was a meth lab. Uh, these children were tremendously traumatized, filled with an incredible amount of anxiety. When they came to us, their clothes were stapled together. We had to burn the clothing because the clothing were contaminated with both feces and meth. Uh, these children were with us for quite a while. And then very suddenly they were reunified but they came back to us six months later, far more traumatized, filled with even more anxiety, taking several steps backwards in their healing. So it's something that happens um, so many times and it, it needs to stop. There's, there, you know, I, I was in Washington DC last summer, 2020, in the midst of the COVID pandemic, working with legislators on this very topic, pre-reunification, when children are returned too early to their homes. And, and what we need to do is, as a nation, we need to, to make sure that the children are not being reunified too early by, by taking an additional step. And that third step, if you will, right now, most agencies have two steps. That third step would simply look like 
um, giving the 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 um, the child in the home when they were to reunified six months services by the caseworker by the agency, then and with consistent visits by the caseworkers to ensure the child is safe, that the birth parents are getting the support that they need. Because when that child goes back home and the support services are shut off immediately, the next day, we don't know what's happening in that home. Yeah. Oh, I agree. We have to know what's happening in that home. So just an additional six months, just six more months, and you know it's not going to cost a heck of a lot of money if it's just that's not a full year. We're just looking at additional six months here to make sure the caseworker is in the home, visiting with the birth parents, visiting the child. The parents still continue to go support services or parenting classes. Um, the parents continue to get the maybe some family therapy sessions once a week or once a month with with the child. Yeah, but you know, John, I don't even know if six months is enough. It um, may not. You know, be. it may not be. Right. You know, and, and I, I understand we're trying to take baby steps, you know, getting the government to move on anything is as hard as it is. But, you know, I just don't know if, if six months is enough right. um, for a lot of the damage that's done to these children. And, you know, and, and I do believe 100 percent that we have to support the family. I mean, the fact that these kids come into it, this is something that I've I've been trying to figure out since I, I walked into this arena. And maybe you can help me with this. So I don't understand that how a child can come into foster care, they come into foster care and they're with strangers, and then they they bond with this these people. They find this love between them. They, they, they start growing. They get a CASA worker. The CASA worker, you know, makes sure that this child is, is experiencing life. And, and there, there's another connection, another bond. And then all of a sudden, a judge says, in 72 hours, you're being reunified back with your birth parents. And by the way, CASA's ruling is you cannot have contact with that child when that child steps foot in that, that biological family's house again. And, right. and we all know that the connection of a foster parent is not happening with a child from the system um, once they've been reunified because the, the system has shown us that we're fighting each other on, why is that? 72 hours or less. Those five children I just mentioned to you, I received a phone call when I was at work saying, hey, we just had a uh, trial. I didn't say, I didn't know, because I like to be at the trials. I want to make sure I'm there with the children because trials are very scary. I don't want to let them know that, hey, we're in this together. We're in this together. Uh, so I got a phone call saying the trial already happened. The children have left. Are you, are you kidding me? Uh, no notice whatsoever? So sometimes it happens that quickly. And for those children who had, you're right, when a child comes into my home, comes into your home, it's a time of tremendous anxiety. Those kids are confused. They're scared. They're wondering what happened? Where's my mommy? Will I ever see mommy and daddy again? Who are these people? Will they hurt me? Um, so when it takes that time uh, and the unconditional love does happen and the healing starts to take place and those children form a healthy attachment with the foster parents and suddenly they're removed back from the biological family members, there's going to be time of grief and loss for that child because they're going to be missing their foster parents that they formed a healthy relationship with. Uh, so that's a time right there of, of some anxiety as well. So again, we need to make sure that we step in and bring the support services to the family during this time. Yeah, you know, John, I just don't understand why we are not looking at this differently and we start to foster the family and not just foster the child. 
Um, So, you know, all of a sudden Johnny comes into the system because of neglect. I don't understand why we all don't come to the table. You know, the birth parents, the foster parents, the foster worker, everybody comes to the table, the guardian litem, whoever, everybody comes to the table and they say, okay, what can we do to get Johnny back with his birth parents? And the first thing we need to do is build a relationship between the foster parents and the birth parents. And the reason right. I say that is because it would be nice to see those the foster parents support this reunification. Yes. And they're, right. you know, six months, guess what? I'm still involved in Johnny's life because mom needs a break. And mom has built a relationship with me and, and she calls yes. me. Right. You know, that's I, I don't see why we don't do that or try it out. You know, try. Why can't we try it out? I, I agree 100 percent. I often tell the foster parents that I work with that you need to develop a healthy working relationship with the foster parents, because when that child is returned home at some point, mom might need a break and you're there. You're there. You know, also helps in the healing process, also helps in the grief and loss process. It also helps a child recognize that all oh, these relationships I've, I've, I've created with these people, when they say they do love me and they do care about me, they really mean it because I continue to be in their life. You know, as foster parents, we try to go to the baseball games or the soccer games, their music lessons, the dance lessons, you know, maybe it's birthdays and Christmases, still, you know, have relationships with them. And that's healthy for every single body. But you're right, it's not happening. And that's a detriment to all, the child, the foster parents, the birth parents, the agency, to, com- to the communities and society as a whole. No, I agree. I agree. So, you know, John, this last year has been absolutely crazy. Um, you know, with COVID um, and the pandemic and schools being shut down, I mean, I know within my community, you know, we barely are just getting back. And my kids got one month of in-person school before summertime hit. Um, and so uh, what do you think this has done to our child welfare system? Oh, well, I think it has hurt our children far more than we are than we recognize right now. I was hearing last April, last May, last June, Dr. John, I need help from the caseworkers and the foster parents. For those foster parents who are struggling with their own issues of health concerns, with their own job, will I keep food on the table, will I be able to keep my job? And then they have the children in their home who are not going to school and getting the support services they need because they're 18 months behind academically, who are not getting the professional therapy and counseling sessions that they need. They're not getting in-place visitations that they need with their birth parents. Their anxiety levels are through the roof. As a result, the foster parents' anxieties are through the roof. And foster parents are saying, I can't do this. I quit. Caseworkers, caseworkers cannot visit with the foster parents because of the, the distancing and the isolation. So the foster parents are not getting the support services they need from the caseworkers. It was a mess. That's just the, that's just the tip of the iceberg. I'm far more concerned about the mental health issues that have affected our children. When four and five-year-old children are on antidepressants at a young age because they're told you can't hug mommy and daddy, you can't hug grandpa, you're going to kill them. When, children, when our teenage suicide rate has spiked as a result, when their children are online, you know, the, the, the dangers of these children online, and then there's pandemic learning loss because we know learning did not happen this past year. No, I agree. There's so many issues that we did not even take into consideration when we shut our nation down. Yeah. You know, I, oh, I, then there's a child abuse factor. Then right. there's a child abuse factor. 
child abuse has spiked. Human trafficking has spiked. We are going to see more children go into foster care when our children go back into the classrooms because teachers are mandated reporters and they've seen what has happened. I think back to a, a journalist, I, I did a, a help with a story recently and the teacher was doing a Zoom conference with her students and she noticed one of the students was chained to the bedroom in the home. You know, it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. It's, you know, it, it, I'm so glad to hear you be so open about this because I hear so many people across our land who, who a lot of them have a different story. A lot of them think that we're doing a great job. A lot of them think that our numbers have dropped and, and, you know, and, and I just, I, I shake my head and I'm like, this is, this just can't be because, you know, we know, as you said, you know, those frontline workers, those teachers, those core, they're, they're, supposed to they're the ones i i hear statistics where almost 80 percent that we see kids who they call the hotline number is teachers who call it and so people right. think just because the pandemic's here johnny's not being hit or susie's not being chained to a bed you know i mean it right. just blows right. my mind you know you talked about the they're in the home they're go ahead i'm sorry I said they're, they're in the home of their abuser and as, and, and the birth those parents who are at home you know where the child is at home with the parents and forget about foster care when the pa children are at home with their parents their parents anxieties levels are going up because they can't they're concerned about their jobs whatever it might be and uh, they may take it out on their child they may lash out the child and then of course we have the whole opiate epidemic where so many people are addicted to opiates and now these children for many times for many children school is their place of safety yeah no, I know it was fine. For a year. Yeah, yeah. Took it away from them for a year. Yeah, I know it was mine when I was a kid in the system. School was my school was my safety net. Um, you know, John. Before we wrap this up, I want to I want to touch base on something that you you said about the burnout ratio of foster parents. You know, I I've seen across the land where we our retention rates of foster parents is at the lowest we've ever had. You know, we're looking at like the average foster parent's lifespan is 18 months and once their first right, placement right. is placed. And I do believe that 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 could be corrected. And I was in Indiana um, and I was at an agency that their retention rate is so high that 90% of their children are never moved from the first placement, which I have never heard of. And this is a statewide agency. Where do you think we go wrong when it comes to the retention rate of our foster parents? You know, I've worked with agencies just like that who have had the same rate. We did a study at the Foster Care Institute recently. We, we interviewed 5,000 foster parents and asked them, what is the number one reason why you're quitting after 18 months? By far. The response was because we're not getting the support services that we need when we're experiencing feelings of grief and loss, when we're experiencing feelings of burnout and stress. They're not getting the support they need from the agencies. Agencies need to focus more attention on their foster parents. I help agencies recruit foster parents, but I tell them recruitment equals retention. I'm sorry, equals retention. You can recruit all the foster parents you want, but if you're not focused on retaining these foster parents, your efforts are worthless. We have to focus more on retention efforts, giving the foster parents the support services they need, wrap it around them. Because you know this, foster parenting is a very unique and challenging lifestyle that so few understand. The hardest thing I've done, Rob, most 
rewarding thing I've done, but there have been times where I thought, I just can't do this anymore. It's, it hurts. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree with, so, with you, John, 100%. Listen, you know, as usual, the conversations with you are absolutely mind-blowing. I love the fact that you educate me in times <laughs> that I don't think I could be educated anymore. And I know you're educating our listeners and our viewers. You know, I want people to visit the Foster Care Institute. I want them to go and find, you know, if you go to Dr. John Garmo fostercare.com, Dr. John DeGarmo, fostercare.com, you can find John. And, you know, this is not going to be the last time John is on Fostering Change because we have a lot more to talk about. We have so much that needs to be done. Fostering change. We need some change. John, let me tell you, kids in our system are our future. They're our future. And I think that we don't do enough to invest in them. No. We don't, you know, and we need to do that. Listen, everybody, I cannot thank you enough for listening to another episode of Fostering Change. Um, You know, I say this all the time. We all can be part of the change, each and every one of us. Yeah, maybe you don't have what it takes to be a foster parent. And as John said, it definitely takes a certain someone, you know, but you can still do. You can still mentor. You can still support. You can support birth families as you see them fall and help them lift up. You can support your local agencies, your local churches who you know are doing something when it comes to kids in foster care. Listen, you know, my passion, my friend John, his passion is a lot more than I've seen. I love it. I absolutely love having you, John. John, we will talk again. Until then, everybody have an amazing rest of your day. I would like to thank all of you for listening to the Fostering Change podcast. You can subscribe on all of your favorite podcast streaming platforms, including Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Make sure you follow Comfort Cases on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Twitter at Comfort Cases. Check out the Fostering Change blog at comfortcases.org. And I know some of you have a question And I know some of you would love to be a guest. Please personally reach out to me at fosteringchange at comfortcases.org. That's fosteringchange at comfortcases.org. Then do me a big favor. Please help spread the word. Share this podcast. Share it with your friends and your family. Remember, I say this quite often. We're all part of the same community. And that community, it's not our zip code, but our human race. Let's all make a difference.